Welcome back to the Kingsway Podcast. Welcome. Excited for another discussion, a uh, adventure into learning today, a true adventure. We have been doing these verse of the day podcasts, and on some of the description and maybe in the episode, we'll say like, yeah, we didn't look at this till five minutes before, and I feel like we've been having too easy of a time five minutes before, so we decided not to look at the verse of the day until we were rolling and said, welcome to the Kingsway podcast. I'm a little terrified. I'm not going to lie. I'm worried it's going to be like Habakkuk, something. I'm like, I don't know. I'm worried it's going to be something out of like Daniel or like just something that's going to have some like, well, most of the time it's not though. When you look at it. Now these verses of days to uh, (laughs) give a little, I feel like I need to say it more than I normally do. Or I'm like, yeah, we are learning. As long as you allow us to learn, we will give you permission to learn. We will all grow together. We have not studied this. We have not looked ahead. We do not know what this verse is. We have not prepared anything at all. No. All we've done is prepare in general for decades. That being said. not for this. That that being said, I was going to say, because we uh, have general knowledge, most of the time these discussions are a lot more full than than even we expect. Yeah. And they're a lot more fun. I hope I'm saying this all... (laughs) Okay, thank God I looked. Okay, the verse of the day Uh is out of the Psalms. Oh, thank goodness. Phew. Okay. 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 Verse of the day is Psalm 68, verse 5. All right. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. I love it. Was your version say that was the NLT? A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God. Is God in His holy dwelling? Okay, okay. And the very next uh, verse is actually one of the like I think a little bit more famous, where he says, "God sets the lonely in families, and He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious, but the rebellious live in a sun scorched land." Mine says, uh, verse five. Father of orphans and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Holy habitation, that, that's, uh, it doesn't rhyme. It just feels like poetically good. I was going to say the holy dwelling, it yeah. seems more, uh, less, um, it seems less like environmental and more just like spiritual. That habitation seems more like setting up something, like a place, yeah. like a garden, if that yeah. makes sense. But yeah. I think those words combined make a lot more sense. Maybe the roundness of that definition. Cool, so, cool, cool, cool. Without reading any more context. Yes, yes, yes. Which this is a psalm. This is a the this is in the book of Psalms. Mm-hmm. You could think of the word psalm like poetry or song. Poem or song. Mm-hmm. Uh the the line between poetry and song is so like close, especially in like hip hop oh, and rap. Go take it's like just poetry song. to music. Go take any song and just read the lyrics. Yeah. It's similar to a a psalm. So this is like 150 songs. We'll say Psalm chapter 68. Really, it's song number 68. It's a hymnal. It's the old school hymnal. Absolutely. Slash Um, Proverbs, you know, maybe wisdom slash prayers. I mean, it's like all this stuff. So like poetry too. It's good. This is a psalm. This verse alone. And then even with the verse after that you read, Father of Orphan. Uh, Father of orphans, protector of widows, is who God is in his holy habitation. God gives the desperate homes to live in. He leads the prisoner. He leads out the prisoner to prosperity, but the rebellious live in a parched land. That really sounds like um, 
a lot of God through the prophets, the later prophets, and a lot of Jesus saying, um, you you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. True yeah. religion is actually taking care of orphans and widows, which almost sounds like a direct quotation of this. It's not. It's the same no, idea, but, but it's... it's even James says that, right? Yeah. He's like, this, yeah. is, this is true ministry or true, you know, is to take care yeah. of widows and orphans. But I think that's exactly where James is getting this from, not only from the words of Jesus that sound so similar, but it's also yeah. from the idea of the character of God is defined by these types of things. Yeah. And in fact, where he likes to hang out is where orphans and widows would feel comfortable, would feel like they're back yeah. in a good spot. One, I don't remember if we've talked about this on here, but um, there are a few different ways to talk about um, sin and suffering and evil in the world and Jesus' miracles. You could just say he's healing uh, deformities and and uh, he's healing sicknesses and issues and, and yeah. casting out demons, and that's it. Um, but we know a few people who have put it a few different ways. Maybe not know. We know of a few people who have put it a few different ways. One is um, Greg Boyd and mm-hmm. some other people in his camp who would talk about uh, a spiritual battle of good versus evil, or more specifically, God versus anti-God. Yeah. God versus things that are not God and are opposed to God. And um, so he would say that uh, uh, every time Jesus does a miracle, it is the evidence of evil in the world that led this person to be born blind, born crippled, born whatever, uh, deaf, born whatever. And maybe they can have a great life with with that and find community with that. Yeah. But that's not how God made people to be. And so um, he would say that every time Jesus heals a blind man, he is fighting off evil. He is pushing back the darkness mm. and... Uh, uh, unclaiming one territory, one person from that effect of evil. Hmm. So what it shows is that God's kingdom is not a kingdom of blind and deaf and crippled. Not, not like they're not welcome, but like those, those conditions don't are exist. not, are not welcome as he welcomes people in, he welcomes people in and those conditions stay at the door. And so you can all that to say, come back to this Psalm 68 verse five, Father of orphans and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Um, homelessness, and I mean that as, as in buildinglessness, but also communitylessness, mm-hmm. uh, is not the way God made you. Honestly, your suffering with that makes you somebody that God seeks after even quicker because you know how desperate you are for him and his help. And that is what his kingdom and his reign is marked by. Absolutely. Is drawing people in who suffer with that and alleviating them from that. Well, and I love when you tie in the idea of what holiness means in probably this context. Most of the time it means this in the Old Testament. I haven't done a word study on that exact form of this word, but it means set apart. And so the idea that he has a place set apart just for these people, like there's a place specifically for them um, that has been, you know, separated from what, either the evil of the world or even just from what society would say as a whole, that they have no place. He has a place for them that he's created. Um, You know, I love the concept that you talked about um, the, uh, the two ideas of like what Saul and David are versus what God is in that inductive or what did you, what do you do those two Uh, explain? Dichotomy. Yeah. It's the dichotomy of like Saul is 
what the people thought they wanted, but he's not the king. And David is only a shallow image of the actual oh, king. I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm going to use these words in a way that's probably a little wrong. Mm-hmm. But I remembered a professor at my college, Shane Wood. Um, I think it was a convocation message. It's like a yeah. like, like a, a banquet to start the school year. <laughs> I don't know why. I think convocations are sometimes the end of the year, but whatever. Um, and he talked about cataphatic and apophatic speech. Yep. And I'm going to get this wrong. I know I am. But um, it's either the reverse or exactly what I he's think, about to say. I think apophatic is without or opposite. Yep. Cataphatic is uh, more than. And so what he was saying is there, there are different ways to talk about God um, and to try to compare God to other things to help us understand. So we call God father. Well, if you had a bad father, there's good news. He's not like that. That's yep. apophatic. Yep. He's not like the bad stuff in the yep. world. Um, but if you had a great father, if you had a father that you would say is probably the best father you know, and you're grateful for that. Well, there's good news. God is even better than that. Absolutely. Cataphatic. He is even greater than the good things we see. Um, and I, yeah. I see a lot of that in this, right? That if they had a father and he died and he was a great dad, now they're missing it. Good news. Yeah. Not only is there a father, yeah. but there's a better one. Widow, same way. If they had a great marriage and now they're whatever, it's like, yeah, even if your husband was still here, guess what? There's there's a groom that's coming to claim his bride Yeah, that's even better, you know, than what you experienced. And so in my mind, it's not, it's not even like a pity party. It's actually a message to everyone. Yeah. He's just emphasizing it on these two groups to show that God fills those gaps, even in the best of ways Yeah, when the circumstances are different. You can see God's heart for people who are broken and downtrodden. Uh, mm-hmm. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, yep. blessed are the brokenhearted, um, God has a, a special love and care for them. Um, and even uh, uh, one of the Psalms, I can't remember which one, God God will be near the brokenhearted or something like that. Yeah. Um, God has a special place for brokenhearted people, but but widows and orphans have this special brokenheartedness where we call God Father, but I still have my Father, and mm-hmm. you still have your Father. So the amount that we actually need God to be our Father, we don't see is we have somebody else filling that role somewhat, um, or God is our closest companion, like a spouse. Yep. Um, if we're married, we don't need God. We feel like we don't need God in that same way because we have a living spouse. Yep. But for those people who have had that and lost it, they feel their need for God even greater. And that's um, the, the, I would describe true worship. This is my whole worship ministry coming down to this one sentence. Uh-huh. No pressure. No pressure. I would describe true worship as desperation for God. Mm. And a lot of our worship acts, so Sunday mornings and whatever, like what's the difference between just going through the motions and really meaning it or really feeling it? Well, it's desperation. Mm-hmm. Do you need do you need not just God to fix stuff in your life, but do you on an emotional and a like bodily need covering level. Do you need God in your life? Do you need Him relationally? And can I can I add like one thought to that? Yeah, that I think would I give, will shoot it down. Yeah. You probably <laughs> let me change your whole ministry because um, I I completely agree yeah. with you. But I think the emphasis I would add is just saying like worship is a deep connection to God. Yeah, or and or the desperation for that if it's not there. If that makes sense, yeah. like it's like if I have that worship is amazing, but if I yeah. don't feel it, 
worship becomes a desperation to find it. I think I think I can keep it desperation, but it it'll mean it'll cover both bases. Okay. Uh, when we go on vacation and we take my dog with us, um, she does not eat or drink almost anything the whole time. So like taking a vacation for longer than four days is like probably animal abuse because uh, mm-hmm. she just refuses to eat or drink. The moment she gets home, we put the food and water bowl out, and we had them there. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like she didn't know where they were. It wasn't like it's like some sort of I don't know rebellious teenage phase yep. my dog is going through. But <laughs> but we come back home, and she has been desperate for that water and food the whole time, just not going after it for some weird reason. When we come back, I cannot peel her away. Her her need for the water, even though she's drinking it right now and she has it, yeah. her need for it is so great that nothing else would pull her away. So it's desperation, whether met or unmet. Mm-hmm. Um, desperation for a relationship with God. And when you're missing, when you when you had a spouse and now they're gone for some reason, and any reason, you feel that weight even deeper than before you had one and definitely deeper than when you had one. So are you saying the clarification you say is like, it's not the desperation doesn't change because it's either you're aware of it or you're unaware of it. Yeah. But, but God, it's not like God moves. Yeah. Or like the connection goes away, especially through Jesus. So you're like, no, you're desperate for it because either you're just unaware of it or you're aware of it and yeah. you want it even more. Yeah. yeah. I think desperation turns when you have it to look like thankfulness. Mm. I'm thankful that I have this because I need it. Yeah. And needing is desperation. And so even, uh, I've talked about this a few times, but the Sabbath, the mm-hmm. 24-hour um, time to not do anything yeah. that the Jews had to do that that we kind of still should be doing but don't mm-hmm. really do very well. Yep. Like, what's the point of the Sabbath? Jesus clarifies that a lot. It's not to um, to obey the rules of not doing anything. The point of the Sabbath is rest and to realize that the world keeps spinning because of God, not because you showed up to work yeah, on time. It's a not gift because, from God. Yeah, mm-hmm. and to, to to rest in Him, letting making the world spin by His own action and not yours. That yep. that helps us realize our mm. desperation for God to do things that we can't, for God to to watch over our crops that are our livelihood, that are whatever, for God to watch over things that we can't control. Um, situations and people's safety and whatever oh yeah so desperation so widows and orphans have this special realization of desperation yeah because of where they are they had something that they needed even though god is that thing too a father somebody close to you like a spouse and they lost it and now in a special way they can identify with their deep need for god in a way that other people full of possessions full of riches full of relationships and these and these father role and the spouse role in their life they already have they don't realize their desperation as much so i feel like god has a special place for people who realize that they that they are and should be desperate for him yeah yeah well and i i mean even the context of this like a father figure the fatherless is an innocence right yeah it's like you 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 long for them to have a deep impactful relationship with their father, a, yeah. a human that would have a mentoring slash like encouraging slash like disciplinarian. So like the father yeah. figure is one, but then the, you know, the wording in, in the English is defender of widows, which yeah. makes me think of more of like at the end of their life when they can't do it themselves and there's no hope 
for them to change. It's not like yeah. they can grow into something else. And no, they need somebody to like come and stand up for them. And you know, widows I, can be any age, but in that day, there's no AARP, there's no scooter store, there's no, no uh, nursing homes or retirement no plan. Your family <laughs> is who takes care of you, especially your spouse as you get older. Yep. So again, widows can be any age, but in their day and age, widows probably means uh, grandma who husband died and she hopes her kids take care of her. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, and then or she can't she's take, young enough that she didn't have kids. Well, and she can't inherit property. Yeah. So she doesn't get to take care of her herself. It's not like this day and age where like she takes over the finances. She has a house. She can determine her future. Yeah. Almost all of those resources go to either their oldest son, to an uncle, to a male heir. And so her whole livelihood, her whole reign in the sense of her authority, her ownership of her life dissipates. I mean, a lot. Yeah. They can have a matriarch role, but when it comes to economics or it comes to like her livelihood or future, it's just a different kind of feeling of anxiety, feeling like there's no one to speak for you, feeling like you've lost even your voice in the community at times. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a lot of like, it's it's almost like uh, the defender is declaring her value, declaring yeah. that she has a place. You only defend valuable things. So, you know, there's there's that intensity of it. I really like, um, you know, reading a few verses on either side of this, seeing that this is from David. It's always fun to kind of see the larger picture. This is a really long um, psalm, not like yeah. the longest of all, but, I mean, 35 verses is pretty, pretty long. Pretty long. Um, you know, it does seem to be kind of David muttering on. There's a lot of... You know, he sometimes just gets on these like crazy rabbit trails inside his things. I feel like he like goes from verse to verse to verse to verse and things are different. But it seems to be a declaration that God is sovereign and that he he alone has the power and will to kind of change circumstances that are beyond repair, change um, yeah. to fight battles that were beyond winning, to do things beyond um, I was trying to just glance through this. Um, this it's the beginning of the psalm says it is a psalm of David. In David's day, they had a lot of battles with a lot of enemies, mm -hmm. and it's not like us here in the U.S. today, where they're the superpower. Everybody's trembling before them, yeah. and uh, maybe they might go police something in the world. No, it's them and their peers, people yeah. equal to them in, in military might and. And battles can go one way or another, and there's no promise of security or safety. So before verse 5, it's a lot of um, God wins decisive, yep. unstoppable victories against his enemies. Uh, uh, verse 1, verse 2, as wax melts before the fire, let the wicked perish before the Lord. And the righteous being joyful and whatever, it's, it's like earning peace through warfare against the things that seem invincible and undefeatable and, and whatever. God comes in and wins all these things. That's who he is, the undefeatable one. Well, and he's the God of lost causes. Right? Yeah. He's the God of like. Yeah. But this this God who earns, uh, in this psalm, the way they understand it, who earns peace through war and, and a decisive victory over the enemies. And then what does he do when he's done? He doesn't tax the living tar out of his people. He doesn't <laughs> uh, uh, feast to no end and get drunk and, and whatever like other kings they've seen. The next thing it says is 
He is father of orphans and protector of widows yep. in his holy habitat. He he gives the desolate a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Um, this is the other way, um, major way I've heard people talk about Jesus' miracles. Um, it's not only are they against evil, they are um, every time Jesus healed a blind man, he was showing the rest of humanity who was blind what his kingdom looks like. It's a little window into eternity with God. A keyhole into yeah. the, the larger perspective. Yeah, when I actually come back and actually fulfill all things and set everything right, none of you will be blind. Just to show you that I have that power, here's one guy who I've, I've healed I've of his blindness. And shown that I can do that. And there will be no leprosy where you're, you're hidden mm-hmm. outside of the city because of your health condition. Yeah, I've healed this one leper. That way the rest of you know what it's like. And so um, God is fighting evil, fighting rebellion against him. And what is he holding as his cherished treasure? People so desperate in such low situations that they know that they need him. That's what makes a person valuable to him. And that's who he he comes after. But the people who who hide in their own strength Mm -hmm. and their own power and their own ability to create safety for themselves. Yeah. They think they don't need God. Um, verse 35 ends with, you know, you are God and uh, you, God, are awesome in your sanctuary. The people of Israel gives, the God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Yeah. So it's not a power-hungry God that sits on high and lords over, but it's a God that empowers and strengthens yeah. and leads his people well. It's um, it's the garden all over again. Absolutely. There are two trees. There's a bunch of trees with a bunch of fruit, but there are two trees that matter. There's the tree of life that you eat from and gain eternal life as you eat from it continually. That is getting everything you need from God, relying on God. Then there's the tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I have a hard time saying that. And that is the tree that you eat from when you say, I can do this on my own. I (laughs) I can do this better. I don't need what God has to give me. I think I can um, take care of everything I need to take care of and defend myself, and I can whatever. I always like the version of, like, if I could weigh all things, I would know what is best. Yeah. Like, if I knew all things, I could weigh what is best. Tim Mackey says, sin is defining good and evil for yourself. Mm. I know what's good. I can determine on my own. I am self-sufficient in every way. Which is silly if you think you're self-sufficient today because you can go to Walmart and get a salad for lunch with the money you earn. Okay, how'd you get that money? From the job that you have, from all the clients you have if you're self-employed or Mm -hmm. um, from the organization you work for if you are not self-employed and you bring that money to another company who's got a lot of stuff going on, who who gets food delivered from suppliers and from uh, processors and from... And how many thousands of people go into your Walmart salad uh, in the different systems that God is holding together at this very moment? Oh, and you think you have $7 so you <laughs> can do this on well, your own? Well, and I've always, I always think it's best described, too. Like, I love that example of, like, there's so much that everything you're doing in your life hangs on. But I also yeah. just like I also just like saying, like, if you're a Christian or non-Christian— you may have the entire Bible figured out and you feel like you know exactly what God is calling you to, or you may feel like you don't know exactly and you have a list of moral things that just came with your heritage or your family. Yeah. Whatever that list and whatever your worldview is, I promise you, you can't even live up to that. Yeah. Like you can't even live up to what you, your own convictions about things, even if they're separate from the Bible. I always, always joke about it. Where I'm like, you can have complete convictions outside of what the Bible is, but you can't even live up to those. Like you can't yeah. even follow your own rules 
let alone the rules set up by somebody else. So in my mind, it's when you try to weigh the knowledge of good and evil and you try to pretend like you know what right is, even when you get it right, you can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like even when you know what is right, it's like, Paul, I know what's right. And I don't I do it. I, <laughs> I know what I ought to do and I don't do it. And I know what I ought not do and I do, do it. it anyways, you know. Yeah. So and that's the man with the Holy Spirit in him, the first missionary <laughs> of the church. Seems like in his writings he did a lot of stuff perfect, even though he says he doesn't. Yep. But he's not like like walking around doing belligerent sin all day every day, and you're like, Well, if he got it wrong, oh, dude. Sometimes. And it seems like he's I don't holding know that the I weight of the knowledge of good yeah. and evil right there in his hands. Yeah. No, it's Really good. I yeah. I think this verse is. I just find it really encouraging in the sense of like the context. I think shows the heart of David. Recognizes the need for God in major victories, but he recognizes that God isn't fighting for major players like himself. He's yeah. fighting for the weak, and the helpless, and those that really need it. Um, and Israel is among those. <laughs> Israel is one of those that need yeah. him because without God, there is no victory. Without God, there's nothing There's nothing to celebrate. Um, you know, obviously, David didn't get everything right, but his heart seems to run to that idea of being desperate for God. Yeah. And even when he's in the wrong or things aren't going right or things have, may, have gone really awry, um, he still longs and is desperate for God uh, to show up. And I think that's the heart yeah. that truly... He's receiving the praise... Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And still, at the words, David has killed his tens of thousands, he's still saying, I need God to do whatever I'm mm-hmm. doing. And that's that's one of the things we see displayed in Jesus. He's literally part of the Godhead. He's literally God himself. And yet, throughout his whole ministry, what does he do? He doesn't go off to find a place to nap because he's part human. He goes off and finds places of solitude where he can pray to the father and, and be close to the father and draw strength from the father, just like he's eating from the tree of life again. And it makes all the difference in his ministry. And you see that even at the last, the last hours before he's taken, that's what he chooses to do is to be with the father and to talk. And, and the conversation there is so similar to Psalms. It's not even funny. You know, it's just, you can tell the heart of what's going on. Yeah, you know, Jesus is crying out, basically saying, like, is there any other way? <laughs> you know, take this cup from me if there is any other way. But if not, your will be done, you know, not yeah. mine. And and the conversations seem so similar to Paul. They seem so similar to anyone that kind of walks with God closely that there are times that trusting God causes pain. Trusting God um, will lead to questions. Trusting God will even lead to sometimes places you don't want to go. But when you do, you know, the outcomes are much larger. The impact is much deeper, and uh, eternal things are at play rather than just momentary. Um, yeah. That's why those miracles, I always, I always think of that, where it's like it's a momentary action that leads to eternal significance. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a small momentary, you know, finite thing, but it leads to eternal displays yeah. of the significance of the kingdom of God. and. Right before the armor of God in Ephesians 6, uh, Paul gives this whole short little spiel about how um, we are not waging war against flesh and blood, but against the powers, principalities, whatever. He's talking about all these spiritual forces of evil and the the overall sin corruption of our minds and our hearts and our will and our desire. 
And he's saying, like, we're fighting for way more than just flesh and blood. We're fighting for this other stuff, too. So, like, Jesus is healing flesh and blood, but he is doing so in a, in a way that is significant to the spiritual battle going on. Jesus does show up um, to deal with, uh, he, he doesn't show up to deal with the flesh and blood conquerors of Jerusalem and, and, and uh, Israel, which are Rome. He shows up to deal with the spiritual powers above Rome, the sin sickness and the death it causes and our rebellion against God and the forces of evil in the world, not forces like the emperor, but forces like Satan and demons and mm. things that want to pull you away from God and toward yep. selfishness. And, um, and so like, as he's doing this, he's, he's not, he's not just trying to end other kingdoms. He's trying to set up his perfect yep. kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And that, that's what I see here when I read holy habitation or holy is his dwelling place. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? Which again, beginning of the sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn. Mourners are going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. They'll be in the kingdom of heaven. So Psalm 68.5, father of orphans and protector of widows. Sounds like the yeah. place he's living, kingdom of heaven. Father of orphans and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Well, and I always think of David because the next one is blessed is the pure at heart for they will see God. Yeah. And I feel like David is the one that constantly seems to keep his eyes or try to fight for his eyes to stay on God the whole time he's in ministry. And so the pure of heart thing, though his hands are covered in blood and though yeah. he makes multiple mistakes, the purity of his heart is when he receives and sees God uh, the clearest. Um, yeah. It also means that purity leads to clarity every single time. And I will say that's yeah. the line blue in the face. So if you want to know if you're making a right decision, fight for purity in your life, it'll bring clarity yeah. um, every single time. So well, this has been a great discussion. I hope that those that are listening um, took the time to maybe check this verse out. Um, I think the Psalms are a great place sometimes to ask questions and see the emotional kind of spectrum that even characters in the Bibles that are elevated as like people worth at least looking at that pursued God, not always mimicking or modeling, yeah. but at least looking at their hearts and their desires. And I think also the honesty that, that David has in his Psalms really help, I think, display what a prayer life could be like. Yeah. Um, and really trying to let God have not just your best moments or fighting for your joyful moments, but letting God have the hard stuff too. I had one more thing I was going to say, yeah, and I forgot yeah, yeah. to uh, mention this. So um, I had a Facebook debate recently with somebody on a worship leader group. Yeah. That's not uh, probably uncharacteristic of ding, me. Ding, but ding. Um, somebody was saying, there's a song we sing sometimes by Maverick City called Son of Suffering. And it's about Jesus and about how he suffered on the cross. And these people, somebody put up a, a question for people to debate and talk about whatever. They said, I was thinking about leading this for my church during Good Friday and some of those things. But I'm a little worried that this isn't a direct name from scripture, mm. that it's not a quoted name. It's just like, this fits. Mm -hmm. And uh, what do you guys think about it? And like 30 or 40 people were like, it's great. So Isaiah 53, man of sorrows, like he did suffer and he suffered a lot. And he, so like, yeah, it makes sense. And okay. Yeah. And a couple people were like, I would never do something so wretched as mm. to say hallelujah to a name that is not a, not a proper name for God. Uh -huh. I don't want to lead my church straight. And their hearts are fine behind that. I get mm -hmm. that. They one even said, like, I I there are many names we could make up for God, like Joe the plumber. This may be a better name than that. And I was like, that's so far off. Whatever. <laughs> but but the answer I came up with for that, which applies here, is 
this isn't a proper name. This isn't like God's real name is Steve. God's name is Yahweh. It's I am like Exodus oh, 02 or 3 or 4 mm-hmm. with the burning bush, maybe 3. Um, and uh, that's his proper name. But God has tons of relational oh, verb yeah. names. Mm-hmm. Before he created the world and everything in it and everything in our universe, he wasn't creator. He had the ability to create, but he hadn't earned that by doing it yet. He created everything, and then he earned the name creator. And we as his creation relationally call him that. That's a thing that we're, yeah. we have this relationship through is he created us, we're creations, he's creator. So beginning of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, starts with, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. So now he's deliverer. Now he's deliverer. Yeah. He, he could have been that at any point, but he delivered them and now he's deliverer. That's a verb name he gets, almost like an inside joke more than it is, or, or like a like a nickname. Yeah. More than it is like my title is deliverer. I got elected by as deliverer by no, popular it's vote. Deliverer, creator. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's uh, in the same way he's king of kings and lord of lords. Like yeah. Like he is the king who's better than the other kings, and he's proven that by how he is. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't king of kings before there were any other kings, and so like like protector of the widow, defender of the widow, and father to the orphan are verb names. Nicknames he's earned by earning them. They're like medals on the wall. Yep. They're like flag patches on his uniform. I don't know that very well, but you know what I mean? The <laughs> yeah. little things right there. And uh, like those those are, are um, like degrees on the wall he's hanging up. Yeah. yeah. Remember when I was the father to the orphans and I still am? Like yeah. that's that's now a characteristic title of me. It's a verb name. Well, and it's it's definitely how when he takes it, I mean, it's tied to Israel. This this whole yeah. thing, he takes them out of Egypt and takes a country that had or takes a people that had no country, no place yeah. to go, and takes them and finds them a home and sets it apart and makes yeah. it different and makes it a crown jewel among the nations and then places himself over kingship of it, but doesn't just stay there, but then through that blesses the entire world. And how does he do that? Through a king that comes down like a conqueror? No, through a child that, uh, yeah. you know, is going to be fatherless at some point in his life because by the time Jesus dies, his, Joseph is no longer around. And, you know, like, and then his mom is going to be a widow when he dies. Yeah. You know, like, I just, I think about all these connections and how even Jesus experienced both of these things personally before he got on the cross yeah, and how they were attached to his family as well. And so I, you know, this is, I think it's always fun to take a verse and see how deep the Bible's connected. And I love how Tim Mackey says it is one story telling one unified story. It, you know, it's one book telling one unified story about um, how God has had a plan and what he is up to and how yeah. you and I have a place in it. So yeah. Um, I hope this has uh, been enlightening and fun for you. It's kind of a nerdy adventure for us. We dive yeah. in and we just kind of throw on our spectacles and uh, <laughs> flex our flex our college degree. No, no, flex our Wikipedia, flex our uh, <laughs> Whatever. Google searches. No, yeah. flex our ability to uh, navigate the Bible as best as we've understood and try to see the connections that are there. And not. I'd say flex our journey. Yeah. with God through mm-hmm. Scripture. It's a flex. I think it's it flex our experience, but also. Recognize that God has done great things yeah. around us, through us, in spite yeah. of us. Um, and some of these verses, I think, just they, I've seen this happen. And I know it still happens today. So yeah. uh, Mark Duncan and Nancy Duncan uh, fit this perfectly. Yeah. And they are part of our church. And so I just, uh, 
and know God's still doing this in his kingdom, and those are the things that he likes to do. Yeah. If you enjoyed this video and you'd like to see more content like this, you can hit subscribe on YouTube, or you can uh, leave us a review or click uh, click follow on any of the uh, Spotify or uh, podcast And if you enjoyed apps. this not video podcast. Yeah, you can leave us <laughs> click, a rating. Leave us a rating, follow us. Yep. And uh, until next time, leave a comment. Tell us what you're looking forward to seeing or what you want. Um, and if you're interested in uh, learning more about video games, you can check out our last podcast. It was a pretty fun yeah. discussion with uh, our drummer, Donnie. Uh, Donnie, about video games. And it was, it was really enlightening and fun. Uh, lighthearted, but also really serious and a little nerdy, but overall really good. So. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in and uh, listening. If you made it this far, Gold Star, have a great and glorious day in the Lord. We'll see you later. See ya.